touch of your lips, dear, but much more for the touch of your whips, dear. You can raise welts like nobody else as we dance to the masochism tango. Say our love is a flame, not an amber. Say it's me that you Hi everybody and welcome to this week's episode of the A-Slut Podcast that of course stands for Advice, Sex, Love, Understanding and Trust. We talk about all things sexual, relationship-wise, polyamorous alternative lifestyles, swinging, kink, all sorts of that fun stuff. And if you ever want to get in touch with the show you can do so by DMing into the Twitter, Facebook, uh... Instagram, all at the A Slot Podcast. You're always welcome to do that. You can always email the show at the A Slot Podcast at gmail.com. I always love hearing from you guys, so let's get into it. It's a flame with desire, which is why I perspire when we tango. You caught my nose in your left castanet, love. I can feel the pain yet, love, as we dance to the master. Hello, my lovely little sluts, and welcome to another episode of the Slut Podcast. This one's going to be a little bit different, guys. Um, it was uploaded live on Facebook Live. It, um, it's a really heavy one, guys. Um... For those that don't know, here in Christchurch on Friday, the 15th of March, New Zealand time, we had a a terrorist attack on two mosques here in Christchurch. There has been 50 people dead and about the same number injured in hospital with a bunch in intensive care as well. Um, I felt the need to talk about this, um, to talk about the victims, who they were, and and that side of things. Um, it's truly an awful, awful event. And um, yeah, if if anything to do with death or anything like that triggers you, this is not the episode for you. So the first part of it, I speak about that. I speak about the victims and what happened. So, yeah, there's that. Part two isn't much nicer, um, as as you'll find out. Two of my friends recently had their consent breached and they were sexually assaulted. So there's a big trigger warning for that on as in part two uh, of this episode as well. So yeah, um, I will be talking about sexual assault, I will be talking about consent and we'll be talking about rape. So if that triggers you, I know there are some people out there that are triggered by that and completely unsurrendable too. It's a big topic. Um, This is not the episode for you. I show a lot of emotion in this episode. It's 
just one of those things. Uh, like I said, it was filmed on Facebook Live as well, and there were a couple of questions that came through and whatnot on there that um, that I, I answer as I'm going along as well. So it's not a normal podcast for for me. But anyway, guys. I, I hope you take what you want out of this episode. Um, I won't say enjoy it because there's a lot of terrible things that I talk about. But um, thank you for listening. And here we go. those of you that have just joined, um, do feel free to ask questions anytime you like. I'll try and answer them as best as I can, but uh, we are talking about what's happened here in Christchurch over the last over the last few days. Um, I'm also going to be talking about, a little bit later on, uh, we'll be talking about um, something that's happened, or two separate events that have happened to a couple of friends of mine recently as well, which... Um, have have really hurt me personally um, as as part of that, and it is around consent and things like that. So there is going to be a bit of a trigger warning on this video as well for those of you who are triggered by things like that. Um, it's not going to be nice at the best of times, but uh, I guess it's time that we sort of sort of get this underway. Um, the reason that I've done this today is to is not to bring glory to myself. I want to f say that first and foremost. This is not about me. Um, this is about the the people that have lost their lives, lost loved ones, um, and anybody who's been affected by by the tragedy that's happened in Christchurch on on Friday, the the fifteenth of March. It's obviously not a good time for anyone, but this is this is about them. I want to tell some of their stories as well. Um, purely because I don't think their stories are being told enough. We've heard a lot about the the monster. I don't want to call him a person. I don't want to call him a human. The monster that's that's done these acts uh, has gotten more than enough coverage already, and I do not want to give that absolute piece of shit any more. Then, um, yeah, <sighs> I guess it's sort of we'll we'll do what we what we can do here today. So, I think most of the people that are watching at the moment are from Christchurch, so they already know what's happened and what's going down. But um, for any that don't, and for the people that are on on the podcast that might not know, uh, there was a an extremist, a right wing extremist, I guess, uh, a racist, whatever you want to call it, uh, who went into 
We'll first start at one mosque and move to another later on and started shooting people with an assault rifle. He, to this point, has killed 50 people. They've been confirmed dead so far. They range in age from two years old, two years old, uh, to 60. So it's a, it's a big one. There's another 50 people that have been injured. There's 36 that are in Christchurch Hospital still, 11 that are in critical condition. There's the four-year-old boy who's been transported to Starship Hospital in Auckland. And I really hope that they can, that all of these people that, that are still alive can make it through. <sighs> I, I, I'm going to get really quite emotional as I go through this, guys. I'm going to try not to. I'm already fiddling with, with my smokes and my smoke packet. Uh, it's, it's not an easy thing to talk about. And I'm quite an emotional, emotional person. Uh, along with the, the main person who has been arrested and charged, um, there's been two other people that were arrested soon after, but they're not linked to the gunman apparently. There's been almost $5 million donated to victims' families along uh, with, uh, with the Give a Little page that has started up. I will link that. And there's also been an overseas one. I can't remember the name of it currently though. But I'm just going to go through quickly a little bit more. On, on the details of, of what's happened. And it, it's, it started with a manifesto. Uh, a lot of people share this manifesto. I did not. I read it. I did not share it. I think sharing it is a little bit, a little bit disgusting, um, considering, and it gives this guy too much, far too much, um, Provenance, I guess, for lack of a better term. It gives him too much fame. I do not want his name to be spread anywhere. But what a lot of people didn't know is that this manifesto actually got sent to our Prime Minister about ten, less than 10 minutes before the attack happened. So there's a lot of people who are saying, why hasn't this been stopped? Why hasn't this, this manifesto was sent 10 minutes before the attack started happening? And it got sent to some media. It got sent to... Uh, Jacinda Ardern, our Prime Minister here in New Zealand, got sent to a national leader and our speaker as well. It's definitely not what was meant to have been happy. He's been charged currently with one murder, uh, but a lot more uh, to come from what I can tell at this point. The youngest victim is two, one child four. I've gone through all of this. I'm, I'm probably going to be jumping all around the place, guys, because um, this, this really, really does does hurt me. Um, I'm going into, going to go into how it's affected me personally uh, in a moment. It's not directly affected to me, but um, a co-worker of mine, a friend of mine, has lost his father as part of this over just absolutely senseless, senseless bloodshed. Um, another co-worker and and good friend has lost six of his good friends as as part of this. Um, hello, Bryden. Lost six of his friends as part of this. Another one of my workmates was inside the Limwood Mosque when uh, the gunman entered. When this it entered, and he watched three people um, get shot in in front of his face. He got out, thankfully, uh, very thankfully. But having three people shot in front of you is 
one of those things that I think is is never going. It's going to be very, very difficult to get over that um, for my friend. I'm not going to name any names or anything like that at this point. I haven't had their permission to do so. They say that this monster, I'm going to say monster, traveled between both mosques about five kilometers away from each other, starting at the first one where over 40 people were killed and moving on to the next. There's been her some heroic stories that have come out of these, which I'll go into a little bit later. But all of this happened, all 50 people that have been murdered in this, it all happened within 36 minutes. Um, which is, and that includes the travel time. And he finally got stopped uh, after that. <sighs> I, I know this has hurt uh, a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people and I, I want to talk a lot about the people that it's happened to as as part of this as well guys it's not just sitting there and going this is what's happened because I don't think there's been enough told about the victims of what's happened either so I'm going to talk a little bit more about how he's done it at this point so to reach the mosque by road the the monster took a loop um, around and then he headed up Dean's Avenue which is on the western edge of Hackley Park in Christchurch took him six and a half minutes and he pulled up near the mosque he had this this is how depraved this fucking guy is he videoed the whole fucking thing and that's and he thought he was in the right he videoed shooting there was a 300 people in this mosque and he videoed shooting them wanting to kill every single random, every single one of them he videoed beforehand and leading up to it he had five guns in the boot of his car and he, he selected the ones that he wanted he started shooting before he even made the front door he didn't even get inside before he started shooting as many people as he could the live stream that he had running from a helmet cam or something similar lasted for 16 and a half minutes before going dead. In that time though, in that time he'd walked through the mosque playing hundreds of rounds at anybody who was there, absolutely anybody who was there. Oh, young, old, male, female, he didn't give a shit. He just wanted to kill them. Midway during this massacre, he returned to his car and grabbed some new weapons. He returned and shot again and again, both the wounded and the already dead. He walked back to, the, to his car, as calm as you like. Although he was still shooting, and he started driving towards the Linwood Mosque. After six minutes, the shooter had gone. In his wake, stunned and blood-covered survivors wandered into the street from the Al Nur mosque. Forty-one people were dead or dying by this point, and about the same amount had been injured. The triple one call was made at 1:41 p.m. There's not as many details about what happened once he got to Linwood. And that's a little bit 
because of the fact that the video had died by that point. But all accounts though, worshippers did not react immediately when the shooter arrived. He did this via Beliad, which was on the north side of town and made his way around. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about some of the people that were that were involved in this now. And you you might have to bear with me at times during this. Um, for those of you that know me, I am uh, a very very emotional person. Um, things do affect me a little bit more than um, than some others do, and I do get quite emotional quite easily. So you you might have to bear with me um, a little bit on this, guys, because it's. I'm not finding it very easy to talk about it, but um, yeah, we'll go. We'll go into what some of the people involved, uh, or some of the witnesses had to say, and I will talk about um, some of the victims as well because they deserve more than their their own time as well. I'm going to talk Farhan Fahiz. He moved to New Zealand from Fiji in 2015 and he said quote, I didn't know what a gun sounded like it is customary when we were praying not to pay attention to the outside world gun shops kept happening and people kept praying but Fahiz then saw several people getting shot by a man standing at the entrance with a big gun eight Linwood Mosque worshippers died seven at the scene and one later in hospital Many others were injured. Thankfully, not long after leaving that second mosque, this monster was arrested by police on Brougham Street, south of the city centre. There was film of this, and it, it appeared that a police car rammed the car and dragged the driver out at gunpoint with tasers and with any other thing that they could have. Um, guys, again, who are watching this on Facebook Live, um, do feel free to, to chime in with anything that you have to add to this. Um, if you can hear me still fine, that'd be, that's awesome as well. I know that my phone's not the best when it comes to the microphone. This microphone's for the podcast. For those of you that don't know, um, this is a live stream of, of my podcast as well. Um, but police said that there were two, explosives in the car that was rammed as well so it's very lucky uh, for for those brave brave members of the police force um, that they did not go off two other people were arrested but they haven't yet worked out whether they've got any connection there was one unconnected person arrested outside Papanui High because they had a gun with them while picking up a child he also was wearing full camouflage which I don't think was the uh, the smartest thing that one could do. Looking at the rough timeline that is starting to be pieced together from media reports and whatnot, it seems remarkable that so much carnage could be caused in in such a short time. The first attack began around 140. 
It was 2.05pm when the schools and tertiary institutions started sending out text messages saying that they were in lockdown. It was 2.11 when police put out a press release saying that there was a serious and evolving situation. That's the first that I heard of it, was when I got that notification. It wasn't even a text, it was... It was, um... It was a stuff article that, um just said that there was an evolving situation in Christchurch. I didn't think that it was going to be going to be anything major, but um, I guess nobody really thought at that point that it was going to be anything major, but um, obviously it was. They say, police say they arrested the monster 36 minutes after being called to the first mosque, which it can't have been much later after he got uh, out of Lintwood. The immediate crisis in Christchurch continued for much longer, of course, with lockdowns and security scares. Lots of speculation about more than one gunman continuing into the evening. Helicopters flying overhead. Those that were in Christchurch know about this. This isn't just people of Christchurch that I'm talking to, though. For injured survivors and for relatives of the dead, for passers-by and medical staff attending for Muslims around the country and around the world, and for New Zealand in general, for anyone anywhere in the world who has a heart, the full horror of the afternoon was just about, or just really beginning to sink in. There was 50 people. I'm going to talk now more, a little bit about the victims of this and what is known about them at this point. I think the mo the one that most people have spoken about so far has been Haji Dawood Nabi. Haji Daoud ran the Afghan Association in Christchurch. He was inside the Masjid al-Nur Mosque on Dean Zev. This man was shot and killed as he tried to protect another person. Or so his, so his son said. And it's, it's absolutely mental that even in this situation he's trying to save others as he did. I'll go into a little bit more detail with a few of these guys a little bit later as well. This is just a brief, succinct um, note on each of them. There's Khaled Mustafa, a Syrian who arrived in New Zealand only a few months ago. He's only been here a few months. He didn't expect this to happen here. Nobody expected this to happen here. He's just come from a war-torn country to be safe in New Zealand, in Christchurch. He only arrived... Khaled Mustafa, a few months ago with his family, he was killed at the Dean's Ave Mosque in Christchurch. The Syrian Solidarity New Zealand spokesman Ali Akil said his son Hamza is still missing. And that's another part that hurts so, so much, is that there's still people who don't know. His second son, Zaid, is in Christchurch Hospital where he underwent a six-hour operation, Akil said. Zaid's only 13 years old. They've now lost their father. Ali El Madani, a retired Christchurch engineer. Maha El Madani told this news agency Friday evening that she had been told her father was one of the 49 people killed in a terrorist attack. She's a Christchurch-based graphic, graphic designer and was currently flying back to New Zealand where her mother and younger brother were mourning the loss of her father. 
El Madani and his wife emigrated from the United Arab, United Arab Emirates in 98. And they were just trying to do the best that they could. He always said to be strong to his daughter and patient. So that's all they're trying to do now. Now, a lot of people know that uh, I've been involved in the football community in Christchurch a fair bit. So this, this next one hurts quite a, quite a bit. Atta Elayan. He was 33. He was the goalkeeper for the Nats, National and Canterbury men's futsal teams. He was shot as he prayed at the Al Nur Mosque. Elayan, who was born in Kuwait, recently became a father. He's now, his child now does not have a father. He was a popular member of the Christchurch tech industry and was a director and shareholder of a company called LWA Solutions. Husna Ahmed, who was 44, was killed when she returned to the Dean's Ave Mosque to check on her husband Farid after getting some children to safety. Farid said his wife was a very courageous and caring person and was a dedicated wife. Junaid Ismail was at the mosque with his twin brother. His brother managed to escape with his wife and he leaves behind a wife, three young children and a mother who relied on him to care for her. You couldn't find a more softly spoken, shy, beautiful personality, said his cousin. Amjad Hamid, a Palestinian heart doctor who emigrated to New Zealand 23 years ago. His wife says she believes he is dead. And what a harrowing feeling that must be to sit there and say, I believe my husband is dead. She described her husband as a very kind man. Hamza Mustafa, 16. He was a son of... Khaled Mustafa, who we spoke about just a moment ago. Hamza arrived in New Zealand from Syria only a few months ago with his family. His brother's still in hospital after going undergoing a six-hour operation. <sighs> this is tough. Hussein al-Umari, who's 35, was a regular at the mosque. His family moved to New Zealand from the United Arab Emirates 22 years ago. The fact that he's here, been here 22 years shows that these people are so much, so much a part of our community and our country and our culture. Nothing like this monster said. Mukad Ibrahim, three years old. He was with his father and brother at the mosque when the shooting started. His father and brother escaped, but have not been able to find Mukad since. He was energetic, playful, and liked to smile and laugh a lot, his brother said. Lilik Abdul Hamid, 58, he was from Medan, Indonesia, and has two children. Muhammad Imran Khan, 47. Linda Armstrong, 65. It said that Linda had a huge heart 
and what little she had, she was more than happy to share with her family and Muslim community. She would tell stories about Ramadan, when all the families would come together at the mosque, sharing homemade meals, having a feast, laughing and chatting with her friends. Armstrong regularly <laughs> Armstrong regularly helped out at the refugee centres, helping families who had fled war-torn countries and helped them settle into a better life in New Zealand. Syed Milne, 14, still missing, presumed dead, has been described as a good-natured, kind teenager with dreams of being an international footballer. The teenager has two other siblings, 15-year-old twins, Shaib and Kahaya. He grew up in Corsair Bay, where he attended primary school. He was described by his sister as an all-round good guy. A sporty teenager who played football and futsal soccer. Ashraf Ali was another. Husna Ara Parvan. Syed Jahandad Ali. Confirmed dead by Pakistan High Commission. Naeem Rashid. The next one is another one that's close to the heart. Tariq Omar. Those who are part of the football scene in Christchurch will know, will likely know this person. He was a, obviously was a footballer. He played for a club called FC 2011. He's remembered for his kind and humble nature. He's only 24. He got along with everybody, excelled at sport, and did well in class. He was just an all-round excellent human being, and a former student of, of Kashmir High. This next one hurts me. I said early on that one of my co-workers' fathers had passed. That was this next man, Matullah Safi. The Embassy of the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan. Canberra confirmed on their Facebook page that he... He is dead, and I, I. This is where it got a little personal for me because it was a coworker. We had we let him off early at work because he he didn't know whether his his father was okay or not. Um, he wasn't able to find out. So yeah, he he found out eventually, and it it, it wasn't great news, unfortunately. Fahaj Ashan was a father of two children aged under three. One was a baby aged seven months and the other was two and a half. He moved to New Zealand from Hyderabad, India several years ago and attained a master's degree at Auckland University. Before his death he worked as a software engineer. He was in the Dean's Ave Mosque when he died. Darwish Kamel He was originally from Jordan but his family in the Netherlands listed him as missing. Mohammed Sahil Shahid Abdel Fattah Qasem Hafiz Musab Wuli Suleiman Bora Ramis Ansi Alibaba Ozai Kadir, Arif Fora, Imran Khan. These are just some of the names of the 
some of the victims of this senseless, senseless act. I'm going to tell some of the stories now of what's of what's happened. We've heard the stories of some of the people. I need to take a drink. Sabir Hussain was deep in prayer when the leader of his Christchurch mosque halted proceedings with the lines, Our brothers have been shot. Inside the Limwood Masjid in East Christchurch, witnesses reported seeing a man carrying what was thought to be a black assault rifle opened fire on about a hundred people praying inside. Now a friend of mine was in this mosque, a co-worker, somebody I've always got along with well, and he watched people get killed as part of this. I can only imagine what what he has to go through now. Hussein said when the shooting started he kept low and went into the wash and storeroom where he saw a man dead outside. He knew he was not safe, jumped out of a window and hid behind a fence until police arrived. Also in the washroom was Syed Ahmed who said the man was, the man was wearing a black motorcycle helmet and camouflaged clothing. He would shot at his friends. Some were shot whilst in the prayer circle. The indiscriminate shooting started from outside the mosque and continued as the gunman walked through the rooms. As he walked in, the man shot several elderly people sitting on chairs because they were unable to kneel for the afternoon prayer. He believed they were all shot. Ahmed thought he saw at least eight people shot dead, including at least three women and two of his friends. And one had been shot in the shot in the head. The person standing next to him had died. The man came through the front door, shouting something that could not be heard over the screen. Ahmed said he kept low on the ground before making it into the side wing. Farhan Fahiz, I noted on him a little bit earlier, was praying with about a hundred others when the shooting started. The Linwood Dental Centre practice manager, Janine Richmond, said she had heard 20 gunshots come from the Linwood Mosque about 1.45. The armed defender squad with dogs came in to the clinic, about 50, which is about 50 metres from the mosque shortly after. There were people who were taken away from the mosque in a bus. I want to talk about Linwood just a little bit more. And I want to talk about one man in particular, and Waylon, if you're still watching, but I was getting to it. Um, Abdul Aziz ran at the gunman in a mosque and saved lives by doing so. He's been held a hero for it. Abdul Aziz was in the Linwood Mosque when the shooter first opened fire during Friday prayers. Seven were killed there, and one more later on. Mr. Aziz picked up the first thing he could find, which was a credit card machine, and ran outside screaming, Come here! He's been praised for saving many people inside by leading the gunman on a cat-and-mouse chase before scaring him into speeding away in his car. 
Mr. Aziz, whose four sons and dozens of others remained in the mosque while he faced off with the gunman, said that he thinks it's what anyone would have done. What a humble man. Latif Alabi, the Limwood Mosque's acting imam, said the death toll would have been far higher at the Limwood Mosque if it were not for Mr. Aziz. Mr. Alabi said he heard a voice outside the mosque about 1.55 and stopped the prayer. He was leading and peeked out of the window. He saw a man wearing black military-style gear and a helmet holding a large gun and assumed it was a police officer. That's when he saw the two bodies. And he then heard the gunman yelling obscenities. He realized at that point realized at that point that this is something else. This is not the cops, this is a killer. He yelled at the congregation of more than eighty to get down and they hesitated. A shot rang out, a window shattered, and a body fell. Then this brother came over and we went after him, and he managed to overpower him, and that's how he was saved. Miss Alabi said, referring to Mr. Aziz. Mr. Aziz said he ran outside screaming. He was hoping to distract the attacker. He said the gunman ran back to get his car, to his car to get another gun. Mr. Aziz hurled the credit card machine at him. He could hear his youngest sons, aged 11 and 5, urging him to come back inside. The gunman returned and fired. Mr. Aziz said he ran weaving through cars parked in the driveway, which prevented the gunman from getting a clean shot. Mr. Aziz spotted a gun that had been discarded by the attacker and picked it up. He pointed it and squeezed the trigger. It was empty. He said the gunman ran back to the car for a second time, likely to grab yet another weapon. He gets into his car and I just got the gun and threw it on his window like an arrow and blasted his window. The windshield shattered, and that's when he got scared. He said the gunman was cursing at him, and yelled that he was going to kill them all, but he drove away, and Mr. Aziz said he chased the car down the street to a red light, before it made a U-turn and sped away. Originally from Kabul, in Afghanistan, Mr. Aziz said he left as a refugee when he was a boy and lived for more than 25 years in Australia before moving here to New Zealand a couple of years ago. I've been to a lot of countries, and this is one of the beautiful ones. And he always thought a peaceful one as well, as, as did a lot of us. Mr. Aziz said he did not feel fear or much of anything when facing the gunman. It was like he was on autopilot, and he believes that God and Allah did not think it was his time to die. And and what a what a brave, brave man to have done so. He's put his own life at risk to, and potentially saved uh, a hundred or a hundred other lives. <sighs> Gonna go a little bit more into the Mustafa family. The Syrian man Khaled Mustafa and his two sons, Hamza and Zaid, 16 and 13 respectively, 
or at Dean's F. At the time when the Syrian Solidarity spokesman had started talking, uh, had started putting out his message, Hamza was missing and Zaid was in Christchurch Hospital after a six hour operation. And then Sunday, which is today here, it was confirmed Hamza was dead also. Akil said he had spoken to Mustafa's wife, who was devastated and deeply horrified, did not want to talk to the media. The brothers were Kashmir high school students. Christchurch's Southwest Baptist Church's senior pastor Alan Jameson said the church had supported three families from the Middle East through a community sponsorship program since they arrived in July. Four people connected to these three families were shot at the mosque on Friday. Jameson said the families had become friends and part of the community and the church was providing support to them following the attack. Akil said the shooting should not be treated as an isolated incident. Because let's be honest, bigotry and racism have been on the rise for some time and we need to acknowledge there is a problem in order to be able to fix it. He was grateful for the work police, first responders, health providers and the government had done following the attack and for the public support. But going forward from there we need to understand the impact of this atrocious event. We thought it was never going to happen and the fact that it has happened once means that there's every possibility that it could happen again. And we need to feel safe again. The Fijian Imam was also shot in these in this attack. The selfless leader of the Fiji Muslim League was among those. Maulana Hafiz Musa Patel. Patel's death at the Linwood Mosque was confirmed by Latoka Muslim League President Navid Khan on Sunday. He had been Imam of Latoka Jame Masjid for the past 25 years. He was a highly respected member of the Fijian Muslim League and served selflessly as Imam, teacher and mentor. He was much sought after as a powerful orator and speaker. Patel's family pleaded for prayers for all of the other victims of the mosque attacks and said. Patel had travelled to Australia three weeks ago from his home in Fiji to be with his children and was visiting Christchurch with his wife. Patel is survived by his wife, Sara Bibi Patel, three daughters and two sons. Sorry, one of my flatmates has just come home. Fijian Prime Minister Frank Bainimarama on Friday said Fijian hearts were breaking for their brothers and sisters in New Zealand. He said that they were working closely with authorities in New Zealand to monitor the welfare of Fijians in Christchurch. Now, during all of this, there's, uh, there's obviously going to be a lot of children that aren't quite ready to understand what's happened. So I want to talk about a little bit about how we can talk to children about terrorism because that's what this is. There's no doubting that that's what this is. But there's a lot of kids who who won't quite understand that just yet. And we need to know how to talk to them about it.
Sorry, my mouth's really dry, all this talking. <clears throat> when when a child has directly experienced these distressing events or witnessed them through news or social media or whatever, it's entirely normal for them to express much higher distress than usual. It, depending upon the impact of the trauma, the age of the child and the supportive relationships they have prior to the event, their distress may be shown in all sorts of ways, and this can include aches, pains, sleeplessness, nightmares, uh, bedwetting. They can become very snappy or withdrawn or not want to be separated from their parents. There's a lot of strategies that can help young people who are struggling after traumatic events. And this is how we can help. I'm not a parent, I have to say. I'm not a parent. I have got this article from, uh, from a website called The Conversation. And it's written by Sarah Parry and Jez Oldfield, who are senior lecturers in psychology in Manchester. So I, I can't take credit for this. So the first thing that we can do with our young people to, to help them through all of this is to ask questions. Although the natural response, excuse me, Although the natural response is to often want to protect and shield children from the reality of this sort of behavior, this terrorism, this, these despicable fucking acts, it's not helpful as a long-term goal. And it's also pretty much impossible to achieve. Young people today are exposed to anxiety-provoking information like they haven't never had before through the likes of social media. Like the way that I'm talking to, to the people on Facebook Live now, that, that kids are going to be able to read this sort of thing and listen to this sort of thing as much as they want. So rather than shielding children from these inevitable things that they're going to find out, we need to focus on arming them with balanced information, with compassion, with hope, and the chance to develop their resilience. Incomplete stories and uncertainties can add to a children's worries, but a common worry for adults is how much to say, what gaps to fill in, and what we can do about it. In these sorts of instances, asking open questions about what a child has heard or understood can be, can be helpful. How and what questions, such as how are you feeling about what you saw or heard? What have your friends said about what's happened? Can help gaining insight into the story that the child is trying to establish and understand. And if we can understand, we can help. The second point is that we can point out the heroes. I just spoke about Abdulaziz, who is a hero at the Limbaugh Mosque. These are the sorts of people we can point out to our children and say, look how great this man was. Look at what he did for those around him at the risk of his own life. Showing people how, pe how others, showing children how others are actively trying to help and support people in need is a great way to frame horror with heroes. While older children will be able to process and understand many of the details and the implications of the strategy that surround traumatic attacks and events, younger children just don't have the life experience or the developmental mechanisms to process such details. Remind children that real-life heroes don't wear capes. Instead, point out that the heroes in this story are the people in paramedic uniforms or theatre scrubs. They are passers-by, the people who offered help, taxi rides, cups of tea, and bed for the night when people are stranded after the attack. Not only does this give new focus to the story, but it also highlights familiar cultural narratives of heroes and villains 
or goodies and baddies that children cannot, can connect with. Such approach, approaches have also been shown to enhance children's confidence, their own sense of bravery, ability to problem solve, and also develop their moral compass. Another thing we can do is use drawings to help with talking to children about these terrorist acts. If children are able to name and express what they're feeling, they're more likely to be able to talk about their thoughts and feelings and experience the benefits of connecting emotionally with others. Don't assume children know they can share their feelings. Always offer explicit permission for all emotions especially emotions they may feel concerned about voicing, such as anger or, or sadness. One way to do this might be to get out the pens and pencils and physically draw out emotions as characters, or consider how they feel in the body. For instance, anxious might feel like a hot head, sweaty hands, and a fast heart. Keep things simple. Adults tend to use particular words around trauma, such as awful, horrific, terrible, but these words don't translate with much meaning for children. If possible, it's helpful to break these terms down and use language that holds more meaning for children and connect with emotions they may be feeling or noticing each other, such as sad, worrying, frightening, kind or brave. You can also try to reduce some of the anxious uncertainty by giving those responsible a name and explaining that they are a small group of people who make bad choices. And the last one, the last pointer, I guess, on how to talk to children about terrorism is make time for hugs. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to say not even just children in this, but people. Hugs are fucking great. Okay? We're, I'm pretty sure everybody who's listening to this or, or watching it on, on Facebook Live um, will, will agree that hugs are fantastic. But especially with children in these times, they only feel as safe as they are led to believe they are by the adults around them. So being able to reassure young people that they are safe, loved and cared for can make all the difference. Research has shown that loving environments at home are hugely protective to the emotional well-being of children. Teenagers in particular benefit enormously if they have positive friendships that support them emotionally. Relationships actually operate on a physiological level in the body as well as an emotional one. Cuddles and emotional connection soothe and calm down a child's threat system by releasing feel-good hormones such as oxytocin, also known as the cuddle or love hormone. So those are a couple of points to help uh, help you talk to children about what's happened in Christchurch, indeed, if you're from here, or, or any terrorist attack, for lack of a better term. Whew. It's it's been pretty hefty so far, guys. Uh, I won't lie. I've talked about a lot of stuff that was was pretty dark. I'm going to go through a couple of things that I found on Facebook over the last couple of days. Um, that has has as it's been harrowing. It's been quite phenomenal. But there's also been some positivity out of it. I'll, I'll talk about Eggy Boy, who's uh, Fraser Anning, who's just a disgusting, disgusting human being, um, said, basically defended the terrorists 
uh, axe and then got hit on the head by an egg and then tried to punch this poor 17 year old for doing that but that's a whole other thing uh, but I'm going to read out some of the things that I found on Facebook over the last couple of days that have been quite nice for me you don't have to be Muslim to be heartbroken you don't have to be Muslim to be angry you don't have to be Muslim to grieve yes this was a terrorist attack against Muslims if we're ever going to defeat this dangerous idea that Muslims are inherently violent or outside invaders, it's not enough to stand with the Muslim community. It's not enough to be outraged on behalf of the Muslim community. Realize that the Muslim community is your community. They are us. They are with us. And our faith should never matter more than our humanity. This one, this next one started as a wee bit of a joke, but it's, it's amazing. A Muslim, a Jew, a Christian, a pagan, and an atheist all walk into a coffee shop. And they talk, laugh, drink coffee, and become good friends. It's not a joke. It's what happens when you're not an asshole. That did a lot for me, I'm not going to lie. Made me giggle. I'm a big fan of shit jokes, so that worked amazingly for me. One person I didn't talk about. I did say his name, but it is definitely worth a mention in this. Naeem Rashid. Halfway through the New Zealand shooting, as dozens around him lay dying, he rushed the shooter unarmed and did whatever he could to make him stop. He and his son died. Some people will publicise the villain. Let's remember the heroes instead. I think that's very important to remember for all of us as well. This is another post um, that, that I found, that I put up, that I shared, I should say. To the Muslim community of New Zealand, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry that a white man felt that he had the right uh, to be violent towards your people that he thought he could force his beliefs on you in such a manner, trying to tell you where you can and cannot live. I'm sorry that he made you feel unsafe in your own home, the place where you should feel safe, where you should be safe. I hope you do not feel disconnected from New Zealand. You are connected. You are, will always be, and always have been one of us. There's no place for racism in New Zealand, no place for violence, no place for what has sadly happened here. I hope you know you're loved, you are respected, and you are home. I will not stand to let this happen and go unspoken. Not New Zealand. Racists, uh, this is the next one, sorry. Racists are the problem, not immigrants or refugees. Hate threatens our way of life, not Muslims. Bigotry make, makes our streets unsafe, not our local mosque. We must stand for love, inclusion and equality for all now or perish in the hubris of white, white supremacy. Fuck white supremacy. I want to now quote our Prime Minister who has been really quite amazing through all of this. I could not have enough respect for her in a million years. But she said, we, 
New Zealand. We were not a target because we are a safe harbour for those who hate. We were not chosen for this act of violence because we condone racism, because we are an enclave for extremism. We were chosen for the very fact that we are none of those things, because we represent diversity, kindness, compassion. A home for those who share our values, refuge for those who need it. And those values will not and cannot be shaken by this attack. We are a proud nation of more than 200 ethnicities, 160 languages, and amongst that diversity we share common values. And the one that we place, the and the one that we place the currency on right now, is our compassion and support for the for the community of those directly affected by this tragedy. And secondly, the strongest possible condemnation of the ideology of the people who did this. You may have chosen us. We utterly reject and condemn you. Okay, people. It's <laughs> it's been so this has been going for for over an hour now, and I'm really grateful for those that have tuned in, those that have watched any any part of this as well. Uh, it's really been quite humbling thus far, uh, but that's. That's all that I'm going to talk about when it comes to what happened on Friday. There's a bit of information. I want us to focus not on the person who's done this. Okay. Um, I want us to focus on the people that have been harmed by this and how we can make and what we can do to help these people. There has been a give a little. If you want to give to that, that's fine. If you know people that have been affected even if it's friends of friends who have passed away and been injured in the in these attacks, if you've been any part involved with this, um, I really implore you to check on the people that have had loved ones part of it, that have been a part of it at all. Uh, check in on them, make sure they're okay. Make sure that they're surviving okay. Uh, because we need that. We absolutely need that in every way shape or form that we can okay so I'm gonna take a little break for a little bit I'm gonna come back with another live video talk with the second half of this podcast